Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning in the house of the Lord. I'm glad that we're able to be here together. Uh, my name is Amy Winkle. I am the interim associate priest, um, and I have a couple of things to touch on uh, announcement-wise before we jump into the text for this morning. Um, so as John Michael mentioned, and hopefully you heard, have heard by now, um, that we aren't having church services here next week. Um, it is, we, I have dubbed it our Sabbath Sunday, so there you go. Um, not because not every Sunday, every Sunday is Sabbath, right? But we are kind of put, holding this Sunday out as a way to push into Sabbath in a little different kind of way. Um, a way to sort of, as the biblical text tells us, kind of let the ground go fallow. Uh, for a little bit, so that there can be rest and um, a sense of renewal and to regain nutrients, so to speak, um, into the soil. And so this looks, um, this like kind of flows out into the life of the church in different ways. Obviously, just like practically speaking, for our staff who like are in this rhythm of like always getting ready for Sunday, um, it gives an opportunity just to kind of take a break and to say like, we're taking the week off so that we can just kind of rest and not have a Sunday to plan for, um, which is kind of our normal rhythm. And so, um, so this is just sort of an opportunity for us to, to rest and to hopefully hear from the Lord in ways that we wouldn't be able to if we just kind of kept going, right, in our cycles um, without actually sort of taking a break. So that's part of it. Um, but for all of us as a community, there's also a call to kind of disrupt our schedules, right? <laughs> to kind of disrupt in a way where we can hear from the Lord maybe in a way that we wouldn't otherwise. And so the invitation for all of us is to kind of say, what, what, what does the Lord have for us on Sunday, July the 2nd? Like, is it that um, he's calling us to, to be home maybe with our family or friends and um, to worship together in that space? Um, or maybe he's, he's calling us to, to experience worship with another worshiping community here, just like in our, in our vicinity, um, to say that like the body of Christ is, is big. Um, there's a lot happening in the kingdom of God, and it's not all happening in the walls of this church. And so we can go out and kind of see, see um, how God is working in our community through another worshiping community. And so there may be a church, another church that you want um, to visit next week and see kind of what the Lord's doing in their midst. So that's the invitation for us. And so I pray that we can kind of sit with that and see what God has for us um, and how he might speak to us in different ways. So all that being said, don't come here next Sunday because we won't be here. But on the, on the ninth, we're going to have coffee and donuts. So we're going to celebrate because we'll be back together. So we look forward to that. Um, the other thing is an announcement um, related to um, our, uh, our new staff member. Yay! Um, Allison LaForge has come on to our staff. Woohoo! She's there right there in the back um, as our Jubilee coordinator. Yay! We're so glad, so excited. Um, so, Allison is going to be working with, with us over the next six months. Um, as our Jubilee coordinator, as we're kind of getting things up and running. Um, she's going to come alongside Micah and our Jubilee Council, as well as our leadership team and our staff, to really start to put some legs on our strategic plan, to kind of like let it hit the ground and kind of start to implement some things in a really intentional way. And so we're really excited um, that she's going to be walking with us this next six months. So thank you, Allison. We're glad to have you. Okay. My notes are front and back this this time, so we'll just see how that goes. All right, um, let's look at our text for this morning. We're actually going to be picking up where we left off last week. So we're in Matthew 10. We're starting in verse 16 and going to verse 33. 
So let's read. This is Jesus talking. See, I am sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above the teacher nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will, be not, will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, and even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together this morning and just declare your greatness. We just declare, great are you, Lord. Out of the breath of our lungs, we declare your praise. So God, settle our hearts. Speak to us, Lord, so that we might hear you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So this um, text, like I said, picks up on where we left off last week. And so um, last week, the big part of the text that we were looking at is Jesus sending out the 12 disciples and basically giving them instructions um, on what he was sending them out to do. So he was telling them how they should go and who they should interact with, what their posture should be. So just a quick recap. Now, this is my summary. So not if you go back and read, you'll be like, I don't know. But this is what I would say. Um, is what kind of his instructions to them. He was saying, um, see who was around you. Proclaim the good news and do what you see me doing. Trust me. Trust God for means and opportunity. And don't expect to control the outcomes. 
So basically, he was like sending them out and saying, proclaim the word that God has compassion on, ever, on all people and wants to see them be set free. And so do what I've been doing, which is show them what that looks like, that the sick are being healed, that the, the demons are being cast out, that the, that the dead are being raised. Um, do these things because that's what you see me doing. But as you do it, trust God that he's going to provide for you. And don't expect to control outcomes. So then Jesus switches in this part of the text to start talking about warnings. um, Some things that they should expect as they go. Now, if we think about like, you know, a visionary leader who's like trying to like mobilize people and get them out the door. This is not what we would really expect, right? Um, Like we're not expecting that person to all of a sudden be like, and all by the way, yeah, you're going to run into a lot of problems as you go. I mean, maybe, but like maybe not death, right? <laughs> like this doesn't feel quite like a motivational speech um, in some ways. To be like, oh yeah, and by the way, like, yeah, you're going to run into a lot of problems. Um, but that's what Jesus does. And I think why he's doing that is that um, he wants them to be prepared. Like he wants them to not be surprised that, oh wait, like you're going to start pushing out into these ways and doing some really great and amazing things, and there are going to be people around you who really aren't going to like it very much. And so in his care for them, he wants them to be prepared when they come against opposition. So in in many ways, Jesus is foreshadowing here kind of what will happen to him as well in his final days and what the disciples are going to experience even more acutely after his death and resurrection, which we see like in the book of Acts, right? As they're going out and doing, um, proclaiming the word and doing lots of miracles and yet coming under really heavy persecution. So here within this, this text specifically, we hear these really vivid descriptions that Jesus is giving them about the difficulties that are to come. I mean, some really strong language here from Jesus. Like, listen to some of these verbs that he's using. That they will be devoured in court, flogged in synagogues. They will be dragged before governors and kings. And then these really violent descriptions of families torn apart, like even to the point of death. And so when we have a text like this come before us, we have to sort of step back and say, why? Like, why is there all this strong opposition? Why is there such a strong reaction to Jesus and his disciples? Like, if what they're doing is good, right? If what they're doing is going out and healing the sick and casting out demons, why in the world are they getting hauled into court or getting flogged in the synagogue? I think the question before them, and what they're really, this really text is about, is about power. That just like in our world, when power gets threatened, that's when the hammer tends to come down, and pretty strongly. By following the ways of the kingdom of God, they are threatening the power structures of the day. And what would those be? First, the religious leaders, obviously, and the leaders of the synagogue saw Jesus as a threat to their own power and privilege. Jesus is violating their space and what they hold dear and also what gives them identity and status. And so when he starts pushing into these areas and kind of undermining in some ways like their own power, like they're going to start reacting in pretty real and violent ways. The other power structure of the day is Rome. So if Rome saw Jesus as a threat to the lordship of Caesar... If their belief is that Caesar is Lord, and now the disciples are going out and saying, no, no, it's Jesus is really Lord, 
Like that's all, that's like treason. Um, it's the same. It's just as good as treason. So Esau Macaulay says this about why Jesus was such a threat. He says some accounts of Jesus's life and ministry make his death at the hands of the state unexplainable, right? But like Herod did not see Jesus as a danger because he was a compassionate healer who spoke of justice, repentance, and transformation. Herod saw Jesus as a threat because his ministry of healing was a sign of the inbreaking reign of God. I'm going to say that again. Herod saw Jesus as a threat because his ministry of healing was a sign of the inbreaking reign of God. And so as Jesus goes, so goes his disciples. What Jesus experiences as far as like this backlash from the rulers of the day, his, his disciples then can expect to, to experience the same thing. And when the power struggles start, sorry, the power structures start getting messed with, that's when things start getting hairy. Things get dangerous. And so just like here in the Bible, we can think of ways that this has played out within the church in history, especially um, when the church is persecuted. So when the church starts messing around with power structures of the day, then that's when the persecution starts to ramp up. And so I want us to think about a couple of, of those examples, like within just our lifetime or in the last like kind of century. Um, it might not be our lifetime, but that we know of from just recent history. So let's think about China in the 1950s. So at that point in the 1950s, when communism came in, the church was seen as a threat um, to the power structures of the day. And so the way that they responded was to expel the, mission, the foreign missionaries who were there and to clamp down on the church. And so what happens is that the church goes underground and some really some extreme persecution starts of the church in China during this time and into our day. With our, our own country, we can also think about like, times of persecution within like, certain parts of our culture, especially within... Um, our minority cultures, right? And so if we think about the civil rights uh, movement itself as a spiritual revival, actually, of a way of pushing back on the power stru- structures of the day to say, this does not reflect the kingdom of God. What happened in the midst of that was crushing persecution that came upon them. So um, as they were calling for equal rights and justice and it went forth from the, the civil rights movement, violence and persecution were ramped up. So the main thing that Jesus wants the disciples to know is that when things start to get hairy, they don't need to be afraid. When the powers that be start lashing out, they can know that they're not alone, but that God is actually with them. So specifically in this text, Jesus tells them, don't feel anxious when you, about what you're going to say or how you're going to defend yourself in court. Don't worry about what may happen to you physically or if your lives may be at stake. But in both instances, Jesus says that the Father is going to be with them, that he will actually care for them in the midst of it. So the reality is that they are deeply loved and cared for by the Father, and that God knows them and he loves them and he sees them even when everything is blowing up around them. And I'm going to say that again. God knows them and loves them and sees them even when everything is blowing up around them. I really love N.T. Wright's translation of verses 29 to 31. He says, how much would you get for a couple of sparrows? 
a penny maybe, if you're lucky. And not one of them falls to the ground without your father knowing about it. When it comes to you, why every hair on your head is counted. So don't be afraid. You're worth much more than a great many sparrows. Jesus' interaction with the disciples here is interesting. So he's sending them out and he's basically saying, do what you have seen me do. Announcing and displaying the kingdom of God. Show that the power has shifted. That those who are living under oppression and need freedom are actually being set free. However, when you do that, you're going to get a major pushback from those in power. But you don't need to be afraid. Now, but when we read through the text and we hear what Jesus is like warning them about, it sounds like they have legitimate things to be afraid of, right? I mean, it's not like, oh, it's not, it'll be, it's not going to be too bad, but no, it's going to be bad. And yet then he's also saying like, but you don't have to be afraid. So I wonder why, why do they not need to be afraid? What is this reality that Jesus is like opening up for them and pushing them into to say, This is why you don't need to be afraid. And I think what he's saying to them is because they're free. One of the parts, one verse here says, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Do you hear that? If killing the body doesn't kill the soul, then they are free. Jesus being raised from the dead and having victory over death means that death is not something to fear. And when we live like death is not something to fear, we are free. If someone can kill my body but not kill the true essence of my being, of who I am, then they have no control over me or you. We're free. Do you hear that? Does it feel that way in your everyday life, though? Like, we live in that space of worrying about this body and assuming that this world is it. And Jesus is reminding us, this is not it. This world and this body is not the end of the story. And when we get a vision for that, when we realize this is not all that there is, we become free. Now, I'm not meaning to bifurcate the soul and the body here, um, but the reality is, whether we like it or not, these current bodies are not going to last forever. You hear me? Yeah? Anybody? All right. But we don't want to think about that, right? We don't want to, like, and not that we live that way, but, like, with that understanding that um, there is an end date as we currently know it on these bodies in this life that we're living currently. But that does not mean that there is an end to you or an end to me. Because the kingdom goes on. The kingdom is our reality. This life, this current world is not the end all and be all because the kingdom of God is. That is our true home. Where our Father is is where we belong. And if that is true, and if Jesus took the sting out of death... His victory over death means that the, and the death of these bodies means that we are free. 
So we see this change like start to happen in the disciples as they start to like get the vision of Jesus' death and his resurrection. Like when he appears to them in a resurrected body. They start to get the vision of, oh wait, hold on. This is not all there is. Like they'd been looking for freedom in, in like their current situation, right? And Jesus starts pointing them to something else. And saying, no, 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 you're free because you belong to me. And the kingdom keeps going. So, what does this freedom mean? And that doesn't mean that we just become reckless, you know, for no particular reason. Like, oh good, I'm free, you know, that kind of idea. Um, and it also means that, that we're, we don't just like stare down power and look for trouble just because we can. Jesus didn't commission them to go stare down and even directly confront the power structures of the day. That wasn't the main task that he gave them to do. It was actually only a byproduct. The task that he gave them to do was to go and proclaim the good news, that Jesus has compassion for all people, and he has set them all free, including you and including me. So he says, show them the reality of the kingdom of God. Heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, Make the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Show them that they are free. The result from this, though, is that the power structures will sit up and take notice. So, what can this life of freedom look like for you and for me? Let's go back to our examples of the persecuted church. Throughout church history, when the church comes under persecution, it doesn't die out. And if anything, it becomes stronger and starts to grow. Now, does that feel like upside-down logic to anybody else? Just me. When the church goes under persecution, it doesn't die out. It actually gets stronger and it starts to grow. And that's what happened. We go back to China, our example in China. When the church went underground, it didn't die. But instead, these house churches just started taking off. Even in the midst of wild persecution, so my husband and I were able to, um, have been able to visit China a couple of times. We have family that have, has lived there. Um, and so on one time that we were able to visit with them, we were in a small town in southern China. And we were going into the, to the market one day to, to have dinner. And it was like a market that our family, they visited r- regularly. So they were, like, knew the people who were there. And as we started to enter into the market, we saw this woman who was sitting at the, at the gate, and um, she actually was a seamstress. She was there with her, you know, with her sewing machine, and it was someone who our family had done business with before and had some interaction with her. She spoke the local dialect, so um, there, it was hard to communicate with her a lot, like, verbally, but they were able to interact with her as best they could. She saw us coming on this day, and her face just lit up. And all of a sudden, we see her reach down and pull something out, and it is her Bible. (laughs) Now, let me just say, we got really, really nervous. (laughs) Why? Because having a Bible in China, like, you can go to prison for that. Not us. Like, you know, if if a foreigner does something or has, you know, is seen distributing materials or preaching the gospel, they just get sent back to their home country. But for this woman in this place... Her having a Bible was a threat to her freedom. Her freedom, right? She could have gone to prison. She could have been beaten. Who knows what could have happened? And yet, this woman 
pulls out her Bible and is so excited to show it to us. It's so excited for us to see it. And you can just see the joy on her face to say, look, it's the word of God. That is freedom, right? That is what freedom looks like. To say, it doesn't matter what happens to this body because it doesn't encapsulate all of who I am. But this word of God and this Jesus have set me free to the point where I am filled with joy and I just want to share it with you because I think you understand, right? Never forget. (laughs) Also, when we think about um, the civil rights movement within our own community, how they knew the leaders of the black church knew they were free and therefore they started to act as free people right? And to act in ways that just made sense for free people to act. Sitting where they chose to sat, to sit where they were, had a, a, a reasonable um, expectation to be able to sit, to be able to call for rights and treatments that any citizen would expect, and yet to be met with such fierce persecution. But to say in the midst of that, you can take my body, You can do what you want with me, but you can't take who I really am because I'm free. Do you have that picture in your mind of like the fire hoses, people being like mowed down with fire hoses? And yet to say, you can't take this from me, who I am, because I am free in Jesus. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. And yet... Freedom is an affront to the prince of the age, to the power of darkness. When Satan sees it at work, he starts wreaking all kinds of havoc. And yet, that we know that his power is fleeting, and he doesn't get the last word. If Jesus is concerned with the big and the small details of our lives, if God has counted even the hairs on our head, if he's not going anywhere, no matter what happens, then we can live as free people. We can live in the kingdom of God now. So what would it look like to live as free people, ones that believe and know that we have been set free, that the death of our bodies is not the last word, that living free may even be more important than our safety? And then what would it look like to pray for and advocate for and participate in the freedom of others? around us, that the compassion of God wants to set all of us free, and there's nothing that this world can do to separate us from that love of God. So it makes me wonder for us, for those of us like living in our culture today, right, like we can read our Bibles and not be thrown into prison. We can come together and worship and not have to worry about persecution. Like what does freedom look like for us? What and what is it that keeps us from living as free citizens of the kingdom of God? What fears come up for us that say, well, I can't live that way. I can't live in true freedom and fight for the freedom of my neighbor. I'm afraid of what might happen to me. And this is not like just a flippant idea. Like there are like real concerns here that we, that we may be faced with. 
real things that like our circumstances that might come that we're concerned about. It's not something that we just have like a one and done kind of thing of like, oh good, I'm free, you know? And I don't have to keep processing that it's out. Actually, we keep have to go layer after layer after layer to say, what new levels of freedom, Jesus, do you have for me? How can I live this out more and more into your kingdom? Obviously, the disciples needed to hear it over and over again. And so do we. But we need to ask ourselves, what stands in the way of our freedom? If he who the sun set free is free indeed, then what is stopping us from living free lives? If I might offer a little bit of a suggestion, maybe a big suggestion. (laughs) Um, It seems like safety has become an idol in our culture. Especially, like, I would say post-9-11, there was, like, a switch that got flipped where we all got really scared and afraid and worried about our safety. And so I think this is something that we need to sit with because it's almost like safety has become the litmus test in a lot of ways for the way that we live our lives. But I wonder sometimes if that, like this idea and this obsession around safety is really about power and control. And what would God like, might like to say to us in the midst of that? Is safety the same thing as security is my question. And I think that they're actually different. In the last month or so, I've been asking this question. Can security and freedom coexist? Do you hear that question? Like this idea of like, I can be secure and yet also be free. And I think I've lived parts of my life just feeling like those things like kind of feel in, uh, in conflict with one another. But if I take the idea of safety out of security and say, what is security really? Is security not so much about my circumstances, but more about living life in and with Jesus? He is my security. And if I'm with him, I'm okay. Does that mean that all the circumstances around me are okay? Probably not. (laughs) But I, in the deepest part of who I am, am okay and can be secure. And therefore, I am free. Right? So if security is in something else, but not in the propping up or the clinging to of my life right now, then I can be free in the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis said, Aslan is not safe, but he is good. So what if we lived our lives that way? To say, God may not be safe, but God is good. And I can trust that. I pray that we would seek to live in the freedom of the kingdom in all areas of our lives. That we would choose to go deeper and deeper into those layers of freedom with the Lord. That we, we would be willing to count the costs and be willing to follow Jesus in obedience wherever he might call us. So Lord, would you show us what your freedom looks like for us and for our neighbors, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.